Chapter 4 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 4 Of Certain Lepers and Two Brothers Who, being much alike, loved their sister and recommended the use of globes. I must here clear myself on a point which has no doubt caused the reader some indignation. We remarked, he or she will say, that some chapters back the Admiral described Troy as a beautiful little town. Why, then, have we had no description of it, no digressions on scenery, no word-painting? To this I answer, dear sir or madam, no one who has known Troy was ever yet capable of describing it. If you doubt me, visit the town and see for yourself. I will for the moment suppose you do to do so. What happens? On the first day you take a boat and row about the harbour. Scenery, you exclaim. Why, what could you have more? Here is a lovely little harbour flanked by bold hills to right and left. Here are the ruined castles, witnesses of the great days when Troy sent ships to carry the English army to Agincourt. Here are grey houses huddled at the water's edge, hoary, battered walls and key doors coated with ooze and green weed. Such is Troy, and on the further shore quaint Penpoodle faces it, where a silver creek dividing runs up to Landbeck. Further up, the harbour melts into a river, where the old ferry-boat plies to and fro from the foot of a tiny village straggling up the hill. Further yet, and the jetties mingle with the steep woods beside the roads, where the vessels lie thickest. Ships of all builds and of all nations, from the trim Canadian timber-ship to the corpulent billy-boy. Why, the very heart of the picturesque is here. What more can you want?' On the second day you will see all this from the harbour again, or perhaps you will cross the ferry and climb the King's Walk on the opposite bank. You will see it all, but with a change. It is more lovely, but not the same. On the third day you will cast about in your mind to explain this, and so in time you will come to find that it is the spirit of Troy that plays this trick upon you, for you will have learned to love the place, and love, as you know, dear sir or madam, is apt to affect the eyesight. The eyes of Mr. Fogo, as Caleb pulled sturdily up with the tide, were passing through the first of these stages. This, he said at length, reflectively, is one of the loveliest spots I have looked on. Caleb, in whom humanity and trojanity were nicely compounded, flushed a bright copper colour with pleasure. "'Tis reckon a tidy spot," he answered modestly, "'by them as cares for vous and such like.' "'There now,' he went on after a pause, and turning round, "'Yonder's Kit's house, with Kit's cottage next door. "'You can't see the house so plain, cause 'tis behind the trees. "'But there 'tis right enough.' "'Is the cottage uninhabited, too?' "'Both of them. Haunted, they do say. "'By the way, I never asked thee whether you minded ghosties.' "'Ghosts?' "'Yes, ghosties. "'This here place was a Lazarus one time, where they kept leopards.' "'Leopards? How very singular,' murmured Mr. Fago. "'Aye, leopards as white as snow, as the saying goes.' "'Oh, I see,' said Mr. Fogo, suddenly enlightened. "'You mean this was a Lazar house?' "'That's so, of a Lazarus. Leopards used to live there together, and when they died they were buried at dead of night down at Thickest Pit, you see yonder. No one had dealings with them, or nor went nigh them, except they was allowed to make ropes. "'Tisn't so many years that the rope-walk was moved down to the arbour-mouth.' Caleb stopped rowing, and leant forward on his paddles. "'These here leopards in time got to be quite a happy family. 
except, of course, they weren't happy, because nobody wouldn't have nothing to say to them. Well, the story goes, as one of them got folded in love with by a very nice girl down in Troy, and one fine day she ups and tells her sorrowing parents that she's a-going to marry a leopard. Not if we knows her, says they. We forbids the band. With that they went off to bed, thinking as they'd settled it. But, says Parson Lasky, uh, who is he? interrupted Mr. Fergo. Oh, only a figure of speech, sir, nothing to do with the yarn, as the strolling actor said when his theatre cotched afar. What I mean was, that very night the girl gets a boat and rows up to Kit's house, after leaving a letter to say she's drowned herself. And there she's lived in Iden, long with the leopards for the rest of her days, which by the tale weren't many, and she and her sweetheart was buried in one grave. Caleb paused for breath. And the ghosts? said Mr. Fogo, much interested. Some have seen her rowing about here in a boat, or dark nights, and others swear to seeing all the leopards are marching down with her corpse to the burying ground. Leastways, that's the tale. Jan Spedicky was the last to see them, but as he beheld three devils in his own chimbley piece the week after, along her too much rum, perhaps he made a mistake. Anyways, it was a moral yarn and true to nature. These young women is a very determined sex, whether to the leopard in the case or a ruchin. Mr. Fogo had fallen into a reflective silence. "'Tis a thousand pities this here place should be empty, lean to Crystal Palace, by, by which I mean a conservatory, sir, and gardens, and room for a cow, and a parlourette sown. A, a what? Pile, sir, otherwise a creek. C-R-E-E-K. An arm of the sea, as the spelling-book says. A curious fascination stole over Mr. Fogo, as he looked earnestly at the house round which these memories hung. Standing on an angle formed by the bending river and the little creek, and behind a screen of trees, elms, almost too old to feel the sap of spring, a chestnut or two, and a few laurels and sombre firs that had cracked with their roots the grey garden wall and sprawled down to the beach below. The stained and yellow frontage looked down towards the busy harbour, as it seemed with a sense of serene decay, haunted, but without disquietude, like the face of an old lady whose memories and lives in them, though she deigns to contemplate a life from which her hopes with her old friends and lovers have dropped out. Perhaps Mr. Fogger had some sympathy with this mood, for Caleb, after waiting some time for his reply, took to his paddles again with a will, and presently the boat, sweeping round a projecting rock, passed into a very different scene. Here the river, shut in on the other side with budding trees to the water's edge, on the other, with bracken and patches of ploughed land to where the cliffs broke sheer away, stretched for some miles without bend or break. Far ahead, a blue bank of woodland closed the view. Not a sound disturbed the stillness, not a sail broke the placid expanse of water. But a true Trojan must still be talking. Presently Caleb resumed. "'Tis a lovely spot, as you said, sir. Mr. Mogridge down at the customs. He's a poet, as maybe you know has written a mint of verses about this here place. Nature, he says, Nature has here assumed her softest garb. Here would I live and die. Which I call a very touching sentiment, like what they say is in a nigger song. With such conversation Mr. Trotter beguiled the way, until they came abreast of a tiny village almost buried in apple-trees and elms. On the opposite bank a thin column of blue smoke was curling up from among the dense woodland. Caleb headed the boat for this smoke, ran her nose on the pebbles beneath a low cliff, and stepped out. "'Here we are, sir.' "'But I, I don't see any house,' 
said Mr. Fogo, perplexed. "'All in good time, sir,' replied Mr. Trotter, and having fastened up the boat, led the way. A narrow flight of steps, hewn out of the rock, led up to the little cliff. At the top, and almost hidden by bushes, stood a low gate. Thence the path wound for a space between walls of budding hazel, and at its end, quite unexpectedly, a tiny cottage burst upon Mr. Fogo's view. Little dreaming that the owner of Kit's house could live in such humility, he was considerably surprised when Caleb stepped up and struck a rousing knock upon the door. It was opened by a comely girl, with a white apron pinned before her neat stuff gown, and a face as fresh and healthful as a spring day. "'Why, Caleb!' she cried. "'Who would have thought it? Come inside, you're as welcome as flowers in May!' "'And you,' replied Caleb gallantly, "'are looking so sweet as blossom. "'Here's a gentleman come to call upon you, me dear. "'And how's Peter and Paul? Brave, I hopes?' "'Oh, thank you, Caleb,' said the maiden, "'curtsying without embarrassment to Mr. Fogo. "'Won't you come in, sir?' "'It was noticeable that Mr. Fogo, at this point, "'became very nervous, "'but he crossed the threshold in answer to this invitation. "'Mr. Trotter followed. "'The fragrant smoke of a wood-fire filled the room "'in which Mr. Fogo found himself. "'It was a rude kitchen with white lime-ash floor "'and for ceiling a few whitewashed beams "'and the planching of the bedroom above.' All was scrupulously clean. In the flickering obscurity of the chimney depended a line of black pot-hooks and hangers. A trivet and a pair of bellows furnished the hearth. From the capacious rack hung a rich stock of hams and sides of bacon, curing in the smoke. An English clock stood in one corner, a tall cupboard in another, and a geranium in the window-seat. Along the side opposite the door, and parallel to a dresser of shiny crockery, ran a strong deal table. Some high-backed chairs, a pair of brass candlesticks with snuffers, a book or two, a few old hats, and a lanthorn on various pegs completed the furniture of the place. But Mr. Fogo's gaze was riveted on two men who rose together at his entrance from the table where they were seated, side by side, at their tea. Both tall, both adorned with crisp curls of black hair, with clean-shaven mahogany faces, and the gentlest of possible smiles, the twins came forward to greet the stranger. So appallingly alike were they that Mr. Fogo felt a ridiculous desire to run away, nor could help fancying himself the victim of a disordered dream. The twins advanced upon him simultaneously with outstretched horny palms. He noticed that even their dress was precisely similar, with the single exception that one wore a red, the other a yellow bandana handkerchief loosely knotted about his throat. "'You're kindly welcome, sir,' said the twin with the red bandana. And the twin with the yellow neckcloth murmured, "'Kindly welcome,' like an echo. "'Stop a bit,' interposed Caleb. "'Let's do a bit of introducing. "'This here is Mr. Fogo, gent, as he's thinking of renting Kit's house, "'and he's come for that purpose. "'That there is Peter, dear love, in with a red neckerchief. "'Likewise, Paul, dear love, in with a yellow one. "'And begging your pardon for passing over the ladies,' This is Tamsin, dear love, christened Domazina, dearly beloved sister of the same, concluded Caleb, with a sudden recollection of having read something like this on a tombstone. Tamsin curtsied, and the two horny palms were again presented. Not knowing which to take first, Mr. Fogo held his umbrella between his knees and gave them a hand apiece. I am afraid, Mr. He hesitated, with a suspicion that he ought to say, Messrs. Dear love, suggested Caleb, "'I'm reckoning a pretty name, too.' "'I'm afraid, Mr. Dearlove,' repeated Mr. Fogo, 
compromising matters by staring hard between the twins, that we have interrupted you. Not at all, sir, said Peter. Sit down, sir, if you're not proud. Tamsin, bring a cup for the gentleman. A piece of pasty, sir. Tamsin is famous for pasties. Mr. Fogo, remembering that, with the exception of the mug of beer at the King of Prussia, he had not broken his fast since the morning, and seeing also that the hospitality was anxiously sincere, complied. In a few moments both he and Caleb were seated before a steaming pasty. Tamsin poured out the tea. She was a full twenty years younger than her brothers, as could be seen notwithstanding their boyish look, which came from innocence and clean-shaven faces. It was pleasant to see their almost fatherly pride in her. Mr. Fogo noted it vaguely, but an inexplicable nervousness seemed to have overtaken him since entering the cottage. I, I came, he said at last, to inquire about Kit's house, which I hear is to let. Thank you kindly, sir, answered Peter, and I won't say but what she'll be glad to let it. But Paul and I have been putting our heads together, we allow it is for Tamsin to say. Here he looked at Paul, who nodded gravely and repeated in his former mechanical tone, for Tamsin to say. Mr. Fogo looked more distressed than ever. "'I beg your pardon, I'm sure,' he began, with a quick glance at the girl, who was quietly pouring tea. "'I did not know.' "'No offence, sir. Only don't you see, it is this way. Kit's house is a grand place, with a slaty roof, and an Italian garden, and a mighty deal too fine for the likes of Paul and me. But with Tamsin, tis another thing. We both agree, she ought to be a lady. Not but what she's a better girl than tens or thousands of ladies.' More than once we've offered to get her learnt the piano and calisthenics and the use of globes and all such things which we know to be useful in grand society, only she sticks to it to bide along with we. God bless her. I say in a rough life it must be for her. Tamsin turned away towards the fireplace and became very busy among the pothooks and hangers. Her brother pulled out a red handkerchief, a fellow to the one around his neck, mopped his face and proceeded. "'Well, as I was saying, seeing she was bent on being with us, "'Paul and me allowed to each other that we'd set up in fine style at Kit's house "'so as not to rob her of what is her due. "'That is to say, one of us would live down here with a carriage and pair of horses "'and cut a swell with dinner-parties and what not, "'while the other bided here until tatties turn and turn about. "'But he wouldn't hear of that, neither. "'She's a terrible stubborn girl, bless her. "'We shouldn't have been slow at learning the ropes just at first he resumed, after a moment's silence, not being scholards, particular at the use of globes, which I have heard is difficult, though very entertaining in company when you know how tis done. But we was ready to try, and only she wouldn't have it, and so it has gone on. But begging your pardon, sir, and hoping no offence, she shall give her answer afore tis too late. Eh, Paul? You have spoken, Peter, said the other twin, very slowly, like a printed book. Let Tamsin speak her mind about it. The girl came forward from the fireplace, and Mr. Fogo, as he stood at glance at her, could see that her eyes were red. "'What do we say, Tamsin? Must we let Kit's house, or shall we leave the old place and go and make a lady of he?' Tamsin's reply was to fall on her knees before the speaker, and break into a fit of weeping. "'Don't ask me! Don't ask me! I don't want to be a lady, and I won't leave you! Don't ask me, my dear, dear brothers!' Peter stroked the dark head buried in his lap, while Paul blew his nose violently in a yellow bandana, and replied to Mr. Fogo. "'Very well, sir, so be it. There's the key of Kit's house yonder on the nail. If you like to look over the place, one of us will follow you presently, 
and then, supposing it to be to your liking, ask and talk over terms. End of chapter 4